You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Rob sent me a, a text message just a little bit ago, and um, thank you, buddy. He said to tell the church I love them and that we have much work yet to be done. So keep him in your prayers. Deb and I, last night late, lost a good friend, um, Eddie Ferguson. Eddie was the orchestra leader at First Baptist Church of Dallas for, gosh, 132 years, I think. And uh, gosh, such a great guy. We loved him so much. Uh, When Courtney got married, uh, she had uh, bagpipes and... um, and they played Highland Cathedral. Uh, if you've never heard that, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever. He wrote every piece of music for every instrument in the orchestra um, for that. He was just such a dear, dear friend. Take your copy of God's Word. Let's look now. Genesis chapter, go to 37. Back in the late 1600s, early 1700s, um, there were a group of men that lived on Hatteras Island. I don't know if you've ever been to the Outer Banks. Uh, My first church out of seminary was in Chesapeake, and all the folks in the church had little cottages down um, on the Outer Banks, and we used to go down there. It was Uh, beautiful and a lot of fun. You don't have to own everything. You just need to know people who do. Um, That way you don't have to pay the taxes and insurance on it. Anyway, we'd go down there a lot. The interesting thing, back then, um, there were men who lived on those outer banks, and they were named Wreckers, W-R-E-C-K-E-R-S. Wreckers, like you wreck something, because that's how they earned their living. They earned their living by wrecking ships. And you say, how in the world do you wreck a ship? Now, they did something that gave a name to those outer banks. At night, they would take a lantern and they would hang it around a nag's head. You ever heard of nag's head in the outer banks? And they would walk that nag back and forth on those dunes so that a ship out at sea would look and would see. That area of the Outer Banks is called the Graveyard of the Atlantic. Over 2,300 ships have gone down off of that uh, area. And they would walk that nag back and forth, and a ship would see it thinking it was the light on the stern of another ship and would turn and try to go into the sound there's the sound between the mainland and the outer banks um, there. They would turn to go in thinking, we've got, a, we've got a way through. There's the passage through. And as they did that, they would get closer to the shore. They would run up on these sandbars or they would run into these shoals or the shallow waters and they would wreck. And those men, would, the wreckers would go out in their boats. This is how they earned their living. And they would rob all the cargo from the ship kill whoever was on there, and then begin to pull the ship apart itself and take the timber so that they could sell the timber. And there are actual shacks still standing along the outer banks that were built out of the timbers off of those wrecked ships. Now, when you come to Joseph's life, 
all around Joseph's life were wreckers, those who would wreck his life. Now, this was a good, godly young man, 17, 18 years of age, when you are in Genesis chapter 37, at the end of Genesis chapter 37, um, and there are his 10 brothers who are trying everything they can do to wreck his life. Uh, He's going to be sold into slavery. Uh, Potiphar, you know, will eventually get to Potiphar's wife. She's going to attempt to wreck his life. Everybody around him is attempting to just wreck his life. Judah comes back, if you remember, and challenges his brothers uh, to sell him. Let's make some money off of him. Let's sell him so that uh, we won't kill him. We won't have blood on our hands. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, not lay our hands on him. Isn't it amazing how you can rationalize any kind of sin in your life? Well, we won't actually do the killing, so we won't be responsible for that. We'll just sell him to the people who are going to kill him. And that's what they thought would happen. So he says, let's sell him. Let's, uh, let's not uh, lay our hands on him. He is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Verse 28, some of the Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. Now, there are two groups of traders coming by. Here, you're going to be told that the Midianites sold him to Pharaoh. And when you get over to chapter 39, which is where we're headed, uh, you're told that the Ishmaelites sold him. Most likely, they were traveling together, bartering back and forth. Traveling in a group like that would have been safer. Bartering back and forth so that they probably traded Joseph back and forth between the two groups uh, before they ever sold him to Potiphar. And so they pull him up. They lifted Joseph up out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, which, by the way, was the price of a slave. Now, if you remember last week, I kind of closed out showing you how his life was a type, an Old Testament picture of Christ. And here he is being sold for the price of a slave, the same thing uh, that uh, Judas did to Christ. Well, They get down, verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Well, turn over now. That closes that out. It picks right back up. In verse 1 of chapter 39, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Um, Now, just put yourself in the place of this 17, 18-year-old young man. I can imagine when his brothers pulled him up out of that pit, he thought, okay, the joke's over. They've had their fun. I know they don't like me, uh, but uh, I don't think he ever anticipated that they would actually do with him what they did with him, and that was to sell him off into slavery. Uh, So when they sell him to these Ishmaelites, who, by the way, as I've told you, were cousins of these brothers, of Jacob, of Abraham, they were cousins, Ishmael, they were the descendants of Abraham uh, through Ishmael. Uh, When they tied a rope around him and started walking him, you would have to go from the northern part of Israel, almost up to the Sea of Galilee, Uh, down the whole length of the country, 
He'd have to walk by where he knew this is the exit you turn off to get back to dad's house. They would go past there into the Negev, which is pure desert, uh, hot, arid, nothing but desert, no life, into the Sinai. Think of this. Here they are, these Ishmaelite traders cross the border. They have to stop just as you do today. They had to stop. They had to declare everything that they had. Everything would have been inventoried. What are you coming into Egypt to do? What are you coming into Egypt uh, to sell? We've got to see what it is. You're going to have to pay a tax on it. They would have looked at Joseph. They would have paid a tax on him. They would have just added that to the price when they were going to auction him off. And uh, they would have put a tag of some kind on him. And so here he is being traded now, sold by his brothers, traded back and forth between the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. And they get into Egypt, and now they're going to put him up uh, like a draft horse on an auction block. And you're going to go up, and you're going to look at his teeth, and you're going to look at his feet, and you're going to look at his fingernails, and uh, you're going to look inside his mouth, and you're going to think, what do I pay for this kid? What do I pay for this boy? He's up for auction. I'm going to buy him. Now, I'm going to stop right here. And I want to say to all of you who are young, now who are young? Well, anybody that is below the age of what? Y'all tell me. Okay. 62. All right. Now, all of y'all that are below the that leaves me out. I'm the old man in the group. It, it, listen, all of you that are young, I want to just tell you something. The world wants you. Potiphar, when he saw Joseph, wanted Joseph. When they saw Daniel and those three Hebrew friends of his, they wanted him in Babylon. The king of Babylon wanted him. The world wants you. It wants your youth. It wants your energy. It wants your creativity. It wants your mind. It wants your ability. It wants you because it wants to shape your thinking. It wants to shape your worldview. It wants to use you, and you need to understand Satan has got all kind of time to sit and ruminate and wait on you. He has all kind of time to let you just um, sit there and just kind of get ripe. He has all kind of time to wait until he moves in your life he is patient. He can wait. He knows the precise time. That's why every ad you see on television is geared toward you. The world wants you. It wants your youth. It wants your beauty. It wants your energy. It wants everything about you. And that's exactly what Joseph is going to have to face now when he's there in Egypt. Well, they put him up and they're going to auction him off, and they auction him off to a guy by the name of Potiphar. You're very familiar with that. Um, but I want you to see one thing here about Joseph, what he's committed to, what he's dedicated to. And you see it in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he became a successful man. Do you see that? That's an interesting statement right there. And let me tell you, the word successful doesn't mean anything that we mean when we use the word successful. We think that the word success, whenever we say, oh man, that's a successful guy, that's a successful 
couple right there. We start thinking of cars. We start thinking of square foot in houses. We start thinking of, uh, you know, Rolex. We start thinking of private country club membership, all kind of stuff we think of. That is not the word that you find right there. So I've got to go back and give you uh, the Hebrew word. The word in Hebrew is salach. Salach. That's the word. Um, It's salach uh, in Hebrew. And it doesn't mean um, the emphasis is not on the material or the financial. The emphasis is on the, and it takes you a little while to explain it, that if there is an obstacle put in front of you, you are able to go over it or go through it. Now, that's the, that was the concept of success to the Hebrew, that whatever obstacle was put there, whatever obstacle is in your way, it is the ability to get over it or to go through it. Uh, he's going to have an obstacle here of culture. How's he going to make it in this culture? He's a, he's a Jew, and he's now with all these Gentiles. He's a, uh, he's a worshiper of Jehovah, and he's down here with people who worship everything down to dung beetles. And so how do, you, how do you get through this hardship? How do you get through this difficulty? How do you face this um, insurmountable problem that has just been dropped down in front of you? Well, the, the word there, success, means to be able to go over it or to get through that. Now, that is, that is the concept of how God made Joseph a success in Egypt, is that he enabled him to overcome all kinds of obstacles, and to get through them intact. Now, I thought about that. I thought about when we reared our children, we're beyond that now at this point, other than just offering advice when they ask. But when we reared our children, I often thought, do I want to teach my kids how to earn $150,000 a year, or do I want to teach my kids how to live out the fruit of the Spirit? to know how to treat other people, to know how to get through tough situations, difficult situations, to know how to face the struggles that life. And to me, it was far more important for me to pour into them the Word of God and how you operate in the midst of struggle and difficulty than it was. Now, I really would like for them to make $150,000 a year but it's far more eternally valuable for them if they know how to get through life with God's blessings every time they come to a struggle. So there you've got it. That's what he does. Here he is, and look at how this begins. And you say, well, how in the world does this happen? How does he become successful down here in the midst of all of this messed up situation? How in the world can you go through all that he goes through and come out? Well, number one, let me give you, I'm going to give you three things tonight with a whole bunch of other points as well. Number one, the first thing that I want you to see is this. I want you to understand that he had a personal commitment to a godly attitude. Attitude. And let me just show you how God begins to work in his situation and what his attitude was. Let me begin in verse 4. I'm going to start in verse 4, and I'm going to work back up uh, to verse... uh, uh, I'm going to go back up the chain. So start with me now in verse 4. 
Joseph found favor in his sight. That is, uh, Potiphar looked at him, watched him, noticed him, saw what he did, um, how he controlled himself, how he related to other people, all these things. He watched him, and he found favor in Potiphar's sight. Potiphar liked him. Uh, Potiphar was uh, drawn to this young man's personality and how he handled the situation of being sold as a slave in a whole different culture. So he is drawn to Joseph. He finds favor in his sight, and he becomes his personal servant. Now look at this. He becomes his personal assistant. That's what that's saying. He becomes his personal. He is Carson to Lord Grantham. Are y'all familiar with Downton, Downton Abbey? I call it Downton Abbey. But anyway, that's what he is. He's there. He's doing everything for Potter for himself. And when he does that so well, look at this. Then he makes him overseer of his house. He just turns the whole house over to him. He says, listen, I'm just putting you in charge of everything here. Everything that we need done here, anything that needs to be done in the house, anything that needs uh, caring for in the house, the running of the household, you take over that. Then look at this. And all that he owned. Now he comes and he puts everything that he owned into Joseph's charge. Every bit of it. So he left. Look at verse 6. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself except with, what are we going to eat when we get home? That's all I got to worry about. What am I going to eat when I get home? We got some bluebell. We got some Rocky Road. We got some Lay's potato chips. I'm not going to worry about anything else. Everything Joseph is taken care of. Everything's turned over to him. Everything that Potiphar had, everything that he owned, his finances, his servants, his homes, his land, his investments, his stocks, his bonds, all of that, every bit of that, Joseph had the Midas touch. He was the goose that laid the golden egg. He was the prime puppy. He was the head hog at the trough. He was anything you could think of. That was Joseph. All because Joseph came there with the right attitude. Now, can you imagine if, if Potiphar bought Joseph, and as soon as he bought Joseph, he began to speak to him, to talk to him, to find out something about him, and all that came out of Joseph's mouth was nothing but just anger, pent-up upset, bitterness, sourness. That's the way he talked. That's the way he approached everything. He, was, he had nothing but a victim mentality. They've done me wrong. They shouldn't have done me this way. I'll never get beyond that. Nobody's been treated as bad as I've been treated. Nobody's been hurt as bad as I've been hurt. Just this victim mentality, full of revenge. What if everything he said was just sarcastic? What if everything he said was just cynical? What if everything that came out of his mouth was just nothing but negative, upset, uh, just poor, pitiful me, all of that? What if that's what he was like when Potiphar bought him? Most likely, this story wouldn't be anywhere in the book. What this young man at 17 or 18 years of age, now that's the amazing thing to me, what he had was a commitment to a godly attitude. That's why you read that uh, Potiphar 
found, favored him. That's why he found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Attitude. Now, I'm going to give you seven things about attitude that you didn't ask for, but I'm going to give them to you. Seven things that I just thought about as I looked at this and thought about Joseph and uh, what it was that made him successful here. It started out with a commitment to a godly attitude. Number one, our attitude determines our approach to life. You know, I want, whenever I fly, I like for that pilot to have the right approach to landing. You know? I want him to have the right approach to landing. Well, listen, your attitude determines how you're going to approach work tomorrow morning, how you're going to approach school, how you're going to approach going to, if you're on a committee at this church, how you're going to serve on the committee of this church. Number two, your attitude controls a lot about your relationships. The relationships that you have a lot of that is controlled by your own personal attitude. Number three, attitudes oftentimes make the difference between success and failure. I've known a lot of guys who had a lot of ability and a lot of talent, but they had lousy attitudes. And they failed. And they failed not because they were not gifted, not because they were not smart, but they failed because... They had, a, they had a horrible attitude. Number four, attitude at the starting line will affect the outcome of the race more than anything else that I know of. Number five, attitude can turn problems into blessings. How you face those things. What your attitude is toward them. Number six, attitude can give you a decided advantage over things in life. Just look at David's attitude when he went out to face Goliath. I'm sure everybody sat there and looked at Goliath and thought he is going to stomp that boy. And David's attitude is, that thing's so big I can't miss. Attitude. Number seven, attitude. Now listen to this. If you don't get any of the others, get this one. Attitude is not automatically right just because you call yourself a Christian. Lord, do I need to say that again. Attitude is not automatically right just because you are a believer. Joseph had the right. This guy had to learn a whole new... He put him in, in charge of his whole house, of everything. He had to learn a whole new monetary system. Uh, every time I go to Israel, as many times as I've gone, I've got this converter on here that I'm constantly working this converter uh, about prices uh, prices of things same thing with Greece when you go to England you got to you got to do it you know how do you how do you figure out another country so he had to do that he had to he he knew Hebrew but he didn't know Egyptian he had to learn a whole new language he had to learn a whole new culture he had to eat in that culture what he could eat you think of all the things that a 17, 18-year-old young man had to go through, and let me tell you, he comes out a success, a large part of it due because he had a commitment to a godly attitude. Now, let me give you a second thing here, and the second thing is this, God's providential blessing. He was committed to the Lord, and because he was committed to the Lord, look back up at verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. 
So he became a successful man. The Lord was with him. I look back, you know, and this just pops in my head. My dad had an eighth grade education. That's all he had. He had to leave school in the middle of the Depression or when the Depression was was going on to go and work for his family. His dad lost everything. Everything they had, they lost. And uh, my dad was... Uh, he was a very successful businessman with an eighth grade education. And he would tell you it was all because God blessed him. He walked daily. I'd walk into my dad's store and he would already be there early in the morning and I'd walk back to his office and he would be sitting there with his Bible doing his morning devotion. Every morning the good Lord sent. He did it. Um, And he would say if there was any success in his life, it was because of the goodness and the blessing of God. I can say I watched him, and I watched my dad walk with God. I watched him daily walk out his faith, live out his faith. In so many ways, I can't even begin to tell you But that's what he's saying right here. The Lord was with Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was with the Lord. His commitment was to the Lord. And so he became a successful man. That is, everything that he did, God blessed. Now, watch this. I'm going to show you what I think is happening here. I think that we're being told this because everything that he does, all the blessing of God on his life, God blesses what he does, and it it splashes out over onto Potiphar. In fact, just look down at verse 5. It came about that from that time he made him overseer of of his house and over all that he owned, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think he's tying this back to the patriarchs. Uh, And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, just look back with me. Take your Bibles. Go back to chapter 30 of Genesis and look at this. As Jacob is leaving, he's getting away from Laban. Laban comes and catches him, catches up with him. And Laban said to him in verse 27, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined. Now, that's that's a pagan's way of saying this. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. And he continued, name me your wages and I'll give it to you. And he said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your cattle have fared with me. They've increased crazily. They increased. And you have, you had little before I came and it has increased to a multitude and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Now I think that was, that was Joseph's daddy right there. I think he's linking him back to these patriarchs. I get back to chapter 28 of Genesis and verse 15, and God speaks to Jacob here, and he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised. I think that Moses, under inspiration, and I think Moses wrote this, I think Moses, in writing this under inspiration, is linking and showing right here a link between Joseph and the patriarchs and how God blesses 
his people who will walk with him. As Abraham walked with God, God blessed him. As Isaac walked with God, God blessed him. As Jacob walked with him, now down to Joseph, he, he blessed all of them. So that as God blessed them, the blessings on them splashed out on the other people. Now I want to tell you something. All of us as Christians in here, that ought to be the way we work. That ought, to be, that ought to be the story of our lives. You know what? Let me tell you something. I don't understand everything about those Christians, but I want to tell you one thing about them. I want you to know they put, not in eight hours, they put everything into those eight hours that they're supposed to. They're a blessing to this company. It may be a pagan company. I don't know. But if you work for them, work for them as if your boss is ultimately the Lord because your boss is ultimately the Lord. Give that owner, give that boss, give that company everything you can give them and be a blessing. And when they compliment you on it, tell them it's because of Jesus in my life. And then watch them, help them up off the floor when they faint. <laughs> that kind of deal. Let me give you the third thing, okay? And the third thing is this. Here's... Here's the spiritual conviction in his life. Look at verse 3. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now that's just fascinating to me because it's talking about Potiphar and how Potiphar could see the Lord in Joseph's life and he knew that all of this blessing was coming because of Joseph's relationship with the Lord. Now let me tell you, this guy worshipped dogs. Osiris. Um, who are some of the other? Uh, Hathor, cat, worship the cattle, worship cats, worship crocodiles, worship dung beetles, worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. This guy is full-on pagan right here. And yet we're told in this verse, Now I want you to look at that verse, do you see anything unusual in that verse? Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Look at the, look at the noun there for Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name God gave Moses. Moses hadn't been born yet. This is long before Moses. <laughs> and yet Moses puts that name there, that covenant name that God gave him at the burning bush. Moses puts it in right there. He's talking about specifically Jehovah. He's talking specifically that when, when you have the word Lord and it's all capitalized, capital A, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is Yahweh. Now, all we, know, we think that's how it's pronounced. We don't really know. All we have are the, are the consonants. The Hebrews wouldn't write the vowels. And so... This is the name that God gave. Now, how did that happen? How, would, how in the world would Potiphar know this right here? Other than the fact Joseph talked to him about his relationship with the Lord. It's the only way. 
that somewhere during the course of the day of assisting Potiphar, of caring for Potiphar's house and his business and everything that he had, there were times when Joseph would speak up and would talk to his owner. This was his master. And he would talk to him about his relationship with God. How his great-grandfather, Abraham, had come to the land of Canaan because God spoke to him and God appeared to him. And how his grandfather, Isaac, how God spoke to him and to his father, how God had spoken to him in dreams. And now God's speaking to him in dreams, and he's told Potiphar all of this about his relationship with his Lord. So that Potiphar comes to the place where he knows this is all God's doings. Well, let me give you four things, four principles that I'm going to wrap up on. That just gets you into it. There's so much in this chapter, I can't do it all in one night. uh, Because we've got some exciting stuff going to happen in this chapter. So... um, but let me just let me give you four principles to kind of wrap all that up with. Number one, be willing to start at the bottom and work up. I'm going to tell you something that I think in, in the Brunson book of supposition on Old Testament theology, it says that when Potiphar saw Joseph on that auction block, he thought this. This is not your average 17 or 18-year-old. Now, I've shared with you, I think, that the cloak or, or the tunic that Jacob gave to Joseph, the Hebrew says that it comes down to the wrist and down to the ground, down to the soles of the feet, that it was um, a symbol of status of being an overseer. And I think that Potiphar looked at this boy and he thought, man, his hands are a little softer than I thought uh, they would be. They're not near as hard and calloused and cracked. And uh, he looked at his face and his, you know, his face isn't as weather beaten and worn like a shepherd's would be. I think through Potiphar's mind, I don't have any way to prove this. I'm just speculating here. um, that he thought to himself, this, this boy, this boy must have had uh, somewhat of a position where he came from. And so he looked at him and he bought him and he puts him into his house and he starts him off. And then you read every one of those conjunctions there, and, 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 is that he keeps getting promoted and keeps getting promoted and keeps getting promoted that he puts him at the bottom, and he lets him work his way up. There is not a thing in the world wrong with that. Number two, the second thing is this, is Joseph was not mastered by the material. Now, in these few little verses that I've given you, this guy is just increasing in wealth. His prosperity is growing. Not Joseph. None of that comes to Joseph. He's making it for Potiphar. And yet never once do you hear Joseph gripe about how unfair it is that his boss is making money. 
Not, never do you see in any of this that Joseph goes and he extorts something or that he takes something or that he slips something for himself or that he even ever goes and asks for anything. Do you know why? Because this young man had determined, I will not be mastered by the material. And uh, most Americans today are slaves to their credit card. You need to get out from under debt, uh, Christians. You really do. If you can do it, make a plan. Get out from under debt. I'm try I keep saying this to y'all. I'm trying to prepare you for the days ahead. Number three, uh, the third thing is this. He was not attached to his surroundings. That is... He wasn't attached to all the fine living that he ended up in. I was watching something the other week. or No, it's longer than that. I don't know what it was. I just hit it in the middle of a program. I have no idea what it was, but they were showing Shaquille O'Neal's house. 64,000 square feet. Now, how would you like to vacuum that? 64,000 square feet. They showed his bedroom. He had a bed. Now, a king-size bed, I know because I grew up in the furniture business, is 80 by 80. That's about six and a half feet by six and a half feet. His bed was 15 feet long and 30 feet wide. Now, you go home and measure your bedroom. Your bedroom probably is not that big. He's got a bed bigger than most bedrooms. It looked like a trampoline. He went out into his garage, and out in the garage, he had a Bentley, a Bentley now. Uh, he had a spider, and I looked up the cost of a spider today. It was about, they got them on sale. So now look, don't anybody run out. They'll be on sale tomorrow. $429,000. They marked them down to $429,000. Spider. He has a custom-built Mercedes, and they had to build it custom. Uh, look how big the guy is. And then he had about another dozen cars beyond that. And he kept them in a garage that's as big as my house. He kept all these cars in a garage that's as big as the average household in America. And as I was watching that, I thought to myself, now who owns who in this thing? Does he own that stuff or does that stuff own him? The third thing is this, or the fourth thing is this. Set godly goals. Set godly goals for your life. He did not allow the wreckers in his life to deter him from doing what he knew was what God wanted him to do in the situation that he found himself in. He didn't want to be a slave. And listen, let me tell you something. Nothing Joseph did warranted this. He didn't deserve any of this. But he ends up in a situation that is very bad and very tough, and yet, listen, what he does. He does the best job you can possibly imagine. He has set some godly goals in his life. I never, in my ministry, I never set out to pastor a mega church, much less First Baptist Church of Dallas or First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. Never in my mind did it ever cross. I only prayed this, God, you entrust me with a pulpit, and I'll preach your word. That's my goal. 
My goal was never to go to First Baptist Church Dallas. My goal was never to go to First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, and I had never heard of Valleydale until I hired Dan Hall, and Dan Hall come into my office talking about Valleydale, Valleydale, Valleydale. I thought, I told him, Dan, forget that, and let's talk about here. Anyway, set godly goals in your life. Put them out there. Every one of you should have some godly goals in your life that you're working toward. And um, it's what you're going to do for God. You know what, I'm, what we're going to do? I'm going to get this PhD one day. I'm probably I, all my teeth will be gone and uh, all the rest of my hair out. We're going to do it and when, when we retire. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to the mission field. I know, uh, I know Pastor Ross can do the same thing. That's what I'm going to do. I am not going to spend my old years walking down a beach saying, oh, honey, pick that shell up right there, please. Have a godly goal in your life. Raphael Lozano was 33 years old in 1997, lived in Plano, Texas, right there where we lived when I pastored First Dallas. Um, lived there, was a computer programmer, computer engineer, and if you were in 97, a computer engineer in Plano, Texas, you were living high on the hog. Um, he decided his goal in life was to go to every Starbucks in the world. There was 1,304 of them in 1997. You know how many there are today? 31,256 today. By 2005, he had gone to 4,918 in North America and 213 in other countries. In an interview, they asked him about his goal, and he said this, every time I reach a Starbucks, I feel like I have accomplished something when actually I've accomplished nothing. I'll tell you what he accomplished. He's accomplished paying too much for coffee. That's what he's accomplished in life. Bad coffee. Burnt coffee. Charbucks. Set some godly goals in your life. Now that just introduces chapter 39. It gets wild and woolly um, from there with Joseph. And you think God has completely abandoned. How's he going to get through this? God has abandoned him. What an incredible guy. Any questions? Okay. Father, thank you so much for our time together that we can get together as your people, sit around your word and learn from you. And Father, tonight I come back and I pray for all of those that have been mentioned, but I especially come back and lift Rob up to you and pray, Father, that sometime in this night, would you put your healing hand on his life physiologically, would you raise that oxygen level, Father, to where he would not have to go on that respirator? But Father, I can't instruct you what to do. I don't know what your ultimate will is in Rob's life, but I do know this. You are a merciful, loving, good Heavenly Father. And I ask that you hold him and Kathy and the kids in your hands and that you give them that great sense and I, of, your aware, of your nearness. And I thank you, Lord, that you tell us that I bear you.
and that I'll carry you and I will bear you and I will deliver you. That no matter what happens in our life, ultimately, you will deliver us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.